Hey, what's up, guys? This is Dion Brown, and you are watching and or listening to Man Versus Brand. So there's a conversation that has been prevalent in the leadership, uh, the mindset, the career community that speaks specifically to uh, how to become your best. Right. And, and functioning at the highest level. Right. I know we've all heard that idea. Right. Of, of how do we participate? How do we show up as our highest selves? So I think in that conversation, there is a broader one that uh, asks us to quantify what highest means. Highest can be our emotional selves, our physical selves, uh, our familial selves, or it could possibly be our financial selves, right? Like, are, are we, are we hitting our vocation? Are we hitting our professional career in the way in which it produces the results that we ultimately are looking for? And if not, what are the tools, the skill sets? that allow us to get from where we are today to where we need to be. Actually, I feel like I have a particular portion of the answer, but it would be ridiculous for me to believe that I have the answer in its totality, which is why we are so blessed to have guests on the podcast because these guests allow us to really understand the spectrum of excellence, the spectrum of greatness, the spectrum of our best selves. So I'm going to have a conversation with you guys, and we're going to talk to Amal Singh, and he's going to talk to us about what it is to be at the highest level in one of probably, arguably, actually one of the most intense career paths that one can pursue. What does that look like? What does performing at the highest level actually look and feel like? And how do we divorce ourselves from the catalyst that move us forward that also might be negative for us, that might be problematic for us, right? Like, the things that push us forward may not necessarily be the things that we ultimately need in order to be truly successful, truly happy, and truly fulfilled. All right, guys. So I want you guys to enjoy the conversation we're about to have in five, four, three, two, one. One of the greatest philosophers of our time once said that when it's up, then it's stuck. Find out how to make your next big idea stick with Dion Brown and his podcast. With 20 years of experience in growing and managing businesses and brands at the highest level, Dion is having the conversations that you are looking for. Welcome and have a great time. So I'm going to introduce you guys to Amal Singh, and he's going to talk to us about what he does in his coaching business, but more specifically, we're going to talk about what it is to be at the highest level from his perspective of what the highest level looks like. I appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening. This is Man vs. Brand. Hey, what's up, buddy? How are you doing? 
I'm doing good. Loving it. Loving the art on the on the wall. Ah, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, so so talk to me, man. Like, so so you have developed um a coaching program that targets what audience and, and why did you specifically choose this form of coaching? Yeah, definitely. So uh we at Live Traders, we have a, a trading, you know, coaching where people are looking to get started in the stock market. Uh, the way we created this is basically me as a case study. So the partner, my business partner, who I teamed up with back in 2015 was originally my mentor. Like he taught me how to trade. So, you know, we had like a blueprint because I had a lot of struggles early on. I lost money my whole first year of trading, you know. Uh, but then the reason why I like my partner is because, A, transparency, right? Because I think it's really important for people to learn about the pitfalls, the learn about the losses more than the gains. And online, what we saw was everybody was talking about how much they made or, you know, look at the P&L, look at the profits. Everything's so good. Trading's great. But it's not. It's a, it's a tough business, right? It's one of the hardest professions you would ever take on. So I had my own journey of learning trading uh, with my business partner. So when we teamed up in 2015, at that point, I've already been working with him for five, you know, five years. So we decided, like, you know what? This could be a great, like, I'm your case study right here. Let's take the same blueprint you applied on me. Let's turn it into a curriculum. And obviously, over the five years that we work together, we've honed it down. We've created the strategy. Let's put in a curriculum that can help shorten the learning curve for traders and show them the good and the bad. I think that's where people learn the most. That was kind of the philosophy behind creating this program using the same blueprint that he applied on me. We're honing it, tweaking it, and then applying it for others. And it's it's been tremendous feedback since 2015. Absolutely. So when I was younger, I got the opportunity to work for Goldman Sachs out of college. So I, uh, I focused a lot of my energy on what that thing could look like for me, right? Because um, I went to Emory in Atlanta, and a lot of my friends ended up at the Gonziata Business School, and we were all focused on, on being mostly investment bankers. Like the, the school just produced a ton of investment bankers. Um, I realized early on that it wasn't for me that 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 particular part of the industry wasn't. But for a lot of like my contemporaries, my friends, like uh, my frat brothers, whatever, like it was the path that they were going to take. Right. Because it was one of the clearest paths to um, like a specific type of financial reward that probably only a few other sectors could provide, like real estate. Right. Or specifically commercial real estate. Right. Or um, or if you were into like goods, um, specifically international goods. Right. So you exported, imported. There was particular sort of tracks that got you a particular form of success. Um, What I found, though, is that if we started this game 21 by 30, a majority of them didn't really want to be in this space anymore. And, and I think a lot of it was because there were, there were such emotional highs and lows. They were so unprepared for how um, the market would actually affect their own emotional well-being, right? Like they just weren't prepared for it. Like everyone came in believing that it would just be um, successful and if they were smart enough and they were they were relationship oriented right meaning that they're forming positive relationships with with clients and uh, parties that were integral 
um, to market performance that they would do well. And a lot of them just sort of kind of burnt out. So in your program, like, what are you doing to support folks to ensure that, like, they're not hitting such highs that if there's ever a low, that they're unable to deal with the ramifications of that? Yeah, so we hammer the the negatives more so than the positives. So the first line of the course starts with, this is the hardest thing you'd ever do. In fact, every one of our YouTube videos is, this is the hardest thing you'll ever undertake. If you're not prepared, close the video right now. It's not for you. We'll refund, no problem, right? Yeah. But Because you have to be prepared. Because if you're not committed, if you actually don't have a genuine passion for trading, you're going to quit. You're going to give up when it gets tough, right? Where somebody who's actually curious about how the markets work. Like, I'm, I'm a geek when it comes to trading. Like, I want to learn every little thing. So I'm genuinely curious about it. So when it gets tough, I don't look down on it. I like, what could I have done better? So the whole program is based around that. And it's not just, you know, like a video lesson or ebook that people would normally get. It's 25 something hours of video training, right? It's like six, 700 pages of, of a manual that comes with it. And uh, it takes people through different series of trading because one element of trading is learning the charts, is learning the technicals, learning what the stocks are going to do. Then there's a whole different section, which is about to do with psychology. And I'll tell you, trading is one of the biggest personal development journeys that I've been on. It, you know, you will know every little thing about your psychology, the greed, the fear, you know, the wanting to be right, the ego, like learning how to control all that. So the whole chapter we have on trading psychology, uh, you know, about the market dynamics and how to generally place the orders, get used to the movements and risk management, right? Money management. We emphasize a lot more of that than the actual strategies. You know, you could throw darts on like, you know, your wall. Right. Let's say you have symbols on your wall. You throw a dart. It lands on Microsoft. It has a 50, 50 percent chance that the stock could go up or go down when you buy it. Right. So inherently, shouldn't everybody be a break even trader because you have 50, 50 odds if it goes up or goes down. Then why do people lose? It's your mindset. It's your psychology. You're holding losers more than you should have. And you're getting out of the winners quickly. Got it. So when. When, when someone is determining whether they want to trade, right? Like at this point with the proliferation of apps, right? Like folks feel like they're trading even if they're working independently and they're not client-based, right? So you have apps like Robinhood that are allowing folks to trade and, and, and it gives them a sense of sort of understanding the market. How do you differentiate between someone who's doing this personally and ultimately someone who's going to do this for a client? Or maybe the bigger question is, is there a differentiation at all? Like, is there, is one, is one person behaving in a specific way or um, is everyone really, the, the goal is to treat all sort of investment equally and make smart decisions based on that? Let me know. Yeah, great question. I mean, you know, first things, Pushing a button by or sell doesn't make you a professional trader. Right? A lot of people do this these days. In the day of Instagram, they change their bio. I'm a trader. They you know, open a trading account and now they're a trader. But pushing a button doesn't make you a trader. Right? A trader, number one thing is, do you have a trading plan? Do you have a business plan? Right? Like Our traders go through intensive processes of creating a systematic trading plan that is systematic. There's no gray areas like, oh, maybe I'll do this. No. If this, then that statements right so ours is very systematic the reason we do that is as professional traders once we have a systematic approach we can then test it we can test and see how it did over the last five years 
how that strategy did over the last 10 years. And then we also forward test it. Let's start testing today. Let's test it another six months going forward in real time. So that's a systematic battle tested plan is what professionals would use. Whereas a lot of people on things like Robinhood, they're just buying, selling based on something they read on Reddit. They read something on Twitter, some hype based thing, or they just believe it's going to go up. You know, but belief is not a strategy. Hope is not a strategy. Uh, we have very systematic rules. So a money manager would have a different set of rules than a professional trader because a money manager is managing clients' money. So the risk, the amount of risk they can take is going to be quite considerably lower, right? Because you, if you lose a client's 5% of their, their money, they're not going to look take that really well, right? Whereas a trader, yeah, we can handle you know, 2% losses, 5% losses here and there because that's the nature of the beast of trading. So there's three different types. One is the average person who pushes the button. Then there's professional traders who trade every day actively and try to manage their money. And then there's money managers, which trade other people's money, uh, which is a completely different ball game. Uh, it's not really even trading. It's more so managing money and trying to get the market returns. Uh, so it's a completely different ball game. So what about the folks speaking to those who may um, participate in apps that allow them to trade themselves. What's your general philosophy as it relates to crypto, right? Because right now you see a lot of the migration of crypto into traditional stock trading platforms, right? So whereas a, a person would necessarily not be in crypto, you see a, this sort of this merge of the two ideas. So um, does your course or does your coaching program also speak to individuals that are interested in crypto or do you see that different? And if so, why? Yeah, all forms of trading are the same. You know, all technicals are the same. Charts are charts. So what we teach is we teach market dynamics and the market structure of technical charts. Now that you can apply to anything. You can trade crypto with it. You can trade stocks with the strategy. You can trade futures. You can trade orange juice. You can trade wheat, oil. You know, anything you want, uh, you can trade anything that has a chart, you can trade because the uh, systematic process is, this, uh, is the same. The strategies are technically based and technicals are based on two primary emotions, uh, fear and greed, which are basically decoded on a form of a chart. And then we have strategies that we've tested that the same patterns would work pretty much on anything that has a chart. Because uh, in the end, human psychology is human psychology. It never changes. All patterns repeat itself. And, uh, you know, this 2022 has actually been an eye opener for everybody. Because everything everybody thought would go up. And we're like, no, based on market cycles. I have a pretty good video on up on Twitter. Uh, right on December or something, I call in for a cycle turning point, And you know, everybody was giving me hate on Twitter. No, Bitcoin's going to 100,000. I'm like, it's just a market cycle, man. This is something we've tested over 10 years. And we think it's going to come down. So we were betting against it and made money on as crypto was falling. Uh, and now we flipped it. Now we're back into the long territory. But I don't think the pain is done yet on crypto uh, at the moment. So talk to me about that, right? Because I think a lot of folks understand what it is to make money off of uh, a stock's price rising, right? Mm -hmm. Then there's a whole segment of individuals that are focused on a stock price falling and making money off of a stock price falling. So talk to me around, you know, the psychology around it and then the actual market uh, strategy that goes into uh, um, making uh, a profit off of a stock falling. Yeah, it's almost like a, there's a joke that I make to traders. It's like I swing both ways. I go long and I go short. I bet against the upside uh, on the downside and the upside. 
and shorting uh, is basically betting on a, against a stock uh, or a crypto or any asset. And uh, what shorting basically means is, let's say, Dion, you have a hundred shares of Tesla, right? And I think Tesla is going to go down. Yep. I don't think it's going to go down. I'm just giving a hypothetical example. Let's say I think Tesla is going to go down. You own Tesla. I don't, right? So I say to you, hey, Dion, can you give me your hundred shares of Tesla? I'll give it back to you in like, you know, I'll give it back to you. You say, okay, you know, so you give me your hundred shares. I go to the market. I sell the hundred shares for, let's say, a hundred dollars per share. Now the stock goes down to $90 per share. I buy the same hundred shares at $90 now, and I give your hundred shares back to you. But then I just made that $10 difference as the price went down. Got it. that, That is basically shorting. So brokers lend out shares right? For very minuscule, like 0.000 something percent. So that's kind of what we're doing. We're borrowing it from the broker, we're selling it. And as it goes down, we buy it back and give the broker back his shares. But now the difference is ours. So when you hear about shorting in the news, I think it it also lends itself to a conversation around like espionage or like insider information. I don't know. It just always shorting for me, always seems synonymous in the news with um, someone having uh, information that they shouldn't have been privy to that allowed them to make money off of the stock. So where's that in this spectrum? Like, is that something that is very uh, common in the industry? Is that something where uh, the outliers get the most attention? So it's only the very few that make you know, millions off of it that we really hear from. And therefore it seems like this is a consistent thing. Um, where does that lie? Like where does, where does insider or espionage or information that shouldn't be privy um, to the common audience, right? Um, where does that sit in terms of people shorting and then making a, a, a sizable substantial profit from it? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's no real difference between, long meaning betting on it to go up and short betting it to go down it's the exact same dynamic of how the markets work i think uh so i don't really believe on like you know conspiracy theories like that because there's no proof right now i believe insider trading absolutely happens uh and you've seen that with the likes of nancy pelosi and stuff like that they're the best head fund managers in a way because she's been beating the market you know uh better than any other edge fund manager and somehow she seems to buy the stock right before a news event so obviously there are people who are privy to that information uh, but the average uh, person is not. So I, I feel a lot of people online on Twitter or Reddit, they use that as a way of having a victim mindset. Oh, I lost because of this happened. Just take responsibility. I, I don't think I'm a victim. And uh, it's not necessarily insider information. If you actually genuinely know market dynamics, market cycles, you could with pretty high accuracy predict when the turning point is going to happen. In fact, a lot of us see it's it starting and it's starting to go down. But we think it'll magically come back up rather than betting against it. So we see it, but there's a belief. Oh, I don't think Bitcoin's going to go down. They have a belief. I think if you take your beliefs out and what you believe, what you hope, or your love for something, take the emotions out. Just look at the chart. You will see the charts going down. You could bet against it. And that's what people like me are doing. I don't have any insider information. I look at the chart. I make the decisions based on technicals. And anybody can learn technicals. But the problem is, is everybody going to do it? Right, you have to get your emotion out. So yeah, I don't, I don't really believe in these uh, conspiracy theories or these uh, the thing people throw out online. I think it's just a way for them to make themselves feel better about the loss that they took because they don't understand the markets. So uh, I think those are great points. 
However, right, we also know that Reddit has made some predictions that actually made a ton of people money, right? Whether uh, it was in movie theaters or gaming, um, there's a few spaces where the Reddit predictors have successfully led individuals to to uh, stocks that would then perform for them in terms of making a profit. So where do you see like the levels, right? So, so you mentioned kind of this use of charts. Um, I imagine charts would mean historical data um, and then also the ability to create predictive data from that chart, right? Uh, and then you have the trades, right? So you have the folks that day after day, they are reporting information on the performance of the market, on their insights, on what they believe is going to happen. And you are led to believe that that in some way is sort of the majority thought, right? Like that, that they represent this kind of informed mass idea. And then you have like the Reddit guys, right? Which, you know, you're not really sure kind of maybe what their, um, their background is. You don't know how well informed they are. Uh, but they're putting stuff out there and sometimes it works. Oftentimes it's not really specific enough to make any determination. So where do you see like the levels of information and, and, and where are you pulling your information from versus where maybe I would pull my information from where I'm not necessarily someone who specializes in trading? Yeah, I mean, you know, as they say, uh, a broken clock's right at least, you know, a couple times a day. So if you really think about it, Reddit, what do they get right? Only two stocks, AMC, GME, the ones that were popular. They got hundreds of things wrong. But the thing is, people, as humans, our mindset has selective memory bias. So we'll always remember the things that worked. We won't remember the 100 or 200 stocks that were mentioned on Reddit that never did anything or they actually went down. And you will also notice it's more of a herd mentality. Uh, everybody was telling you when it was the time to buy. Nobody told you when to sell. It's right back down again. GameStop's back down. AMC's back down. Everybody tells you what, what to buy because it's kind of like the greater fool theory. You buy, then you buy after me, and we keep doing it until it runs dry, and you can see what happened with those stocks. They're right back down again. So I don't think they got it right at all. It, you know, Everybody, as I was telling you earlier, you could throw a dart on a wall. You could be 50-50 odds. You could be right. 50-50 odds, you could be wrong. So uh, you know, as far as... Where I pull my information from, uh, I just look at the chart myself. I don't get my information from anywhere at all. I look at the chart, make my own decision, because the charts will tell me when to get in, when to get out when I'm right, but also when to get out when I'm wrong. I think when to get out when I'm wrong, that is a different marker of a professional trader. A lot of people know when to get in. They don't know when to get out. And that's that's an element of a trading plan. You know when you need to get out. So... To that point, right, like a chart would provide you with what I would imagine would be, right, because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not an expert in this, what I imagine to be the median data sets, right? Like this is, this is what happened. It removes the outliers that may not necessarily have been the common experience and presents that data. So then does the chart allow for like high-performing – profitable stocks or is it going to give you like a long-term kind of stable plan or stable outlook in order to make your decisions? Because so many folks, right? Uh, myself 
included in a way. I think you you look at the Instagram videos, right? You look at the TikTok videos and you think 30 days, right? Like 30 days, I'm going to be, if I take this funnel, this course, this whatever, right? Like I will, I will have all of the, the ticket, like stocks, the high value stocks that will make me money. Um, and oftentimes I'm, I'm not sure if those things work. So, so is your chart sort of, uh, also looking at like the availability of high performing stocks, like things that went into the market or happened at the market at that time that were outliers, or are you really looking at the median experience and sort of creating a longer term stable plan? So the cool thing about charts is you can use charts on different time frames. So if I want to buy a stock, let's say for investment, I plan on holding it for, let's say, maybe a few years, right? Yeah. So I, I can take a look at a weekly time frame chart where each bar on the chart is worth one week, right? It's a weekly chart. So then you know that trade is going to last you several weeks, right? Now, if I look at the monthly chart, the trade is going to last me several months. But now if I want to be in a stock, let's say, for only three days, which is what I do frequently, right? A lot of my trading will be holding a stock for three to four days in and out and then replacing the stock with a different one. So that's the form that I usually do. For that, we look at the daily chart. So each bar is one day. So then daily patterns are for trades that want to last a few days. Weekly patterns last a few weeks. Monthly patterns last a few months. And you can go all the way down to like a one-minute chart, which the trade lasts a few minutes, which is also something I do every day when I day trade. I live stream it every single day. And uh, I trade from 9.30 when the market opens till 11 o'clock. And we're trying to get those smaller moves that happen on a stock. So there's many different types of trading that somebody can do. Uh, and it all happens on a chart because, I mean, think about it. You know, anytime, whether you buy, whether a hedge fund manager buys, no matter who buys, it creates a transaction. And every transaction is on a time and sales window where you can see all the transaction. It creates a time and sales. And all of those transactions come together to form a, a candlestick or a bar. And then all those bars come together to form the chart. And then the chart is what creates those patterns. And then the patterns is what we use to create strategies. And then the strategy is what we end up testing. And then that's kind of the flow of how things work. It's very, uh, it's very methodological. And, you know, a lot of people, it could seem daunting because it's almost like learning a new language, right? It, it can seem daunting, but it's actually not, you know, you'd be so surprised. Like on a weekend, you could learn these things, but then the rest of the year is going to be for you to actually get yourself to trust it enough to do it. So that's the name of the game. I mean, I can teach anybody how to trade in like a weekend, but getting yourself to do it and being confident with it, that's something that usually takes about a year for most people. Okay, we got 20 more minutes. What can we do? I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> so, so, so talk to me. Like, um, this is going to be my last question about charts because I want to talk a little bit about you and your personal journey. But talk to me. Like, it, are the charts built by industry? Are they built by company? Like when I hear chart, right? Like I start to think about um, data sets, like where the data is being derived from, right? And mm -hmm. so I don't personally know if the value in trading is in the industry or the the type of product or in the specific company. So when you're looking at these charts, like what are you looking at? Are you looking at industries? Are you looking at company types? Or are you looking at specific companies? So a uh, great question. So, I mean, I look at the charts of the company, the stock itself. So okay. I'm not looking at the industry as a whole. I'm looking at two things. I look at the chart of the market, which is the NASDAQ or the S&P 500, just to see where the overall markets are trending. And then I try to time my trade in alignment with the market. 
Because you could have the best stock in the world, but if the market's going down, it's not going to go down. It's not going to go up, right? The same way if you, if you uh, let's say, the market's going up and you're betting on something to go down, it's likely to go up with the market. So we try to time the trades also with the market. That's one element. But when I say chart, it just shows basically the price history, right? Today, the price went down to this, went up to this, right? And then yesterday went up to, and that creates like a chart. You can see the trend. So if something is obviously naturally trending higher, I would want to be long that for the trend. Something is going down, I want to be getting out. And people end up doing the opposite. Is like when something's going down, they start buying more. And when something's going up, they refuse to sell it. And I'm like, you're doing it completely the opposite way because the profit is not made when you buy something. The profit is only made when you sell. So when people say hold, hold, hodl, or whatever the terminology is, I'm like, but if you hold, you're never going to make money because you have to sell the darn thing to make the money. So, so, so does that does that work toward your strategy though? Like you may hold long term. In, because you believe that this is a longer tail investment versus maybe short term, like you were talking about with the three days, where that that may be your strategy to kind of day trade and get in and out within a specific time frame. Or if your stock is going down and you just watch it fall, there should be a moment in which you have a conversation with someone like yourself to determine whether this thing is 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 a part of a shorter run trend or a longer run trend. Yeah, I mean, there's a popular joke in the community, let's say a technical trader like me and a fundamental investor who bets on companies, they go out on a dinner, they go to a nice steakhouse, they go to Peter Luger's, they're having a steak. And, you know, the fundamental investor is, you know, chop, you know, cutting the steak with his knife. And while he's cutting the steak, the knife flies right in the air, right? He, He looks up, he watches the knife fly in the air. He watches the knife come all the way back down and, and boom, the knife stabs him in the foot. Right? Yeah. And the technical investor is like, why don't you move your foot? The guy, other guy says, oh, I thought it'll go back up. That's what most people do with their investments, right? I thought it'll go back up. Just move your foot, get out. So there's two different types of uh, trading styles. One is income producing, right? And the other is wealth building. So income producing is day trading, like what I'm doing every morning, right? In and out, in and out. That's day trading. That's income producing. You do that to pay your bills, right? As an income to make money every day, but you're not going to make money every day. But the goal is to make money at least every month or every week. So that's income producing. Then the other style is wealth building, right? That's also called core trading. Uh, In that style, we might hold a stock for few weeks, few months, sometimes even a few years. So core trading is a technical person's way of investments or investing in the markets. And income producing is where you're day trading every day or you're getting in a stock, getting out two days from now, getting back in again. So there's two different styles. And uh, I do both. I think everybody should do both as a well-rounded trader. Uh, You should be doing both. All right. So first, thank you for that insight. Uh, Secondly... I want to ask you a question, right? Because I've had this conversation on the podcast before, and I think everyone's given a different sort of answer or and or understanding of it, right? And it's very specific in this way. The Wolf of Wall Street created, I think, and cemented in a lot of folks' mind this sort of psychology and or behavior on Wall Street. Uh, and I think that it, it was only sort of moved forward by um, the recession that happened due to the housing market and other factors of which um, Wall Street, right, and all of its expanse was blamed, right? Like 
It sort of was Wall Street versus Main Street. What, what do you think that people tend to get wrong about the culture and or behavior or psychology of traders versus maybe what they've been presented in media and or news? Yeah, I think uh, most people end up doing the opposite, meaning they're always late to the party, right? So when something is down, they don't want to buy it. It's boring. It's not going anywhere. It's going sideways. They don't want to buy it. And then it starts to go up and they don't want to buy because they think it's a scam. It's not good enough. You know, all this is just a hocus pocus thing. And then they watch it go up more and then they feel like, oh, I should have bought. Right. And then they're their friends. They start buying. They're like, hey, this thing's going up. And then the Uber driver says, oh, yeah, did you look at Bitcoin? You know, it's going up. And then finally they get their sales the courage to start buying. And by the time they start buying, it's too late. <laughs> the party's over. Because the people who bought early need to get out. They need to sell to make their money. So they end up selling it to the average person. And then the average person gets left holding the bag. The same thing would happen with GameStop and AMC. A lot of people think that the Reddit community made the stock go up. You would be surprised how many hedge fund managers, professional traders jumped on their bandwagon. Because we know that they're going to keep buying. So we start buying with them. And then the stock goes up. But they're still holding while we're just selling it to them. Here you go. Buy more. Buy more. Buy more. We sell it to them. They keep holding the bag, and now the stock is all the way back down. Same thing with the Bitcoin, right? When it was at ten thousand, nobody wanted it. It's at twenty thousand, nobody wanted it, right? And then it goes to thirty. They think about buying it. Forty, they're getting themselves ready to buy it. Sixty thousand. Now I'm going to buy. And now by that time, we're selling it to them, and then they get holding the bag. Then the pain gets greater. They feel like, ooh, I think it's going to go down now. Then they sell it finally, and then we buy it from them, and then the train. The cycle repeats itself over and over again. And you can take a look at any chart. I can show you the exact same thing happened, be it a stock, be it oil, be it Bitcoin, be it any other cryptocurrency, be it any other stock. I can show you the same cycle over and over. And that's the market dynamics that a lot of people get wrong. Okay. So so I think those are great points. I also want you to talk for a second about just perception, right? Like like everyone thinks that the the stock trader is on some form of substance right like that they're narcissists that um um that there's wild parties with little people and dancers and you know 35 bottles of vuv clico that you know goes in a bathtub right like how much of that was driven by like the american psycho maybe 80s 90s culture and how much of that is really what's happening today? Because I think a, a big part of the Main Street versus Wall Street argument is that there's this kind of gross indulgence, for lack of a better term, that is happening because of all the money that's made um, where, you know, folks that aren't um, aligned to help individuals are the determiners of how the market performs. That's that, and I'm saying that as like that's the that's the way in which Wall Street is viewed. So, so how much of that do you actually see? Where do you think traders are? Like, um, where, where do you see the difference between maybe the perception of what's happening in the Wall Street markets versus what's actually happening as you see it? Yeah, I think uh, one of the differentiation is people think of everybody on Wall Street as traders, but it's different, right? Jordan Belfort was a broker, right? He wasn't a, a trader. Uh, and then 
even like if you back in the day, if you watch Boiler Room, they were brokers. They were selling stocks, right? You look at the movie Wall Street, same thing. So that industry, yeah, there was a time, right, before the 2000 bubble where everybody was making a lot of money. Everything was just going up. And uh, there was a time where you would see these types of things happen. But uh, it doesn't happen anymore. It's uh, The business has changed a lot uh, as well as, you know, traders need to be on their A game now. So, I mean, but I mean, I have good parties, no doubt, but it's nothing close to what they you know, show on uh, the movies like that. Obviously, it's video. Video. no, I feel like we need to judge for ourselves. I need to see a video of the party. Well, you, you're in New York, so Absolutely. I'll invite you to the next one. We All have right. a Mardi Gras party coming up. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, it, it's it's more perception than reality. But in the end, you know what? If they earn the money, I believe do what you makes you happy, right? Do what you want with their money. Who are we to judge what other people do with their money? Uh, and I think... Uh, you know, more power to them. Enjoy yourselves. Like I, I believe that if they earned it, go enjoy yourself and uh, do what makes you happy. It's your money. Uh, and I wouldn't really be concerned about what other people think. So I'm, I'm going to give you an opportunity for a caveat because I, I hear something that maybe other people will hear that I think may not necessarily be what you intend, right? Which is do what you want with the money. You've earned the money, right? But But there is a part of it that says like, the, the grossness that people perceive is based in the fact that Wall Street makes money while everyone else suffers. And that's not inherently what we mean, right? Like, like everyone right. should make money. And that's the, the definition of, of, of how a, a, a great capitalist and depending on sort of what your definition is, society works, right? But like, we also know that people make a ton of money during crisis, right? Like folks made a ton of money during COVID, during the lockdown, right? Because inherently some of the best opportunities in terms of mortgage rates, uh, buying houses, commercial properties, stocks, a lot of things performed really well when you have liquid in order to invest and when possibly rates are low enough that borrowing money isn't so costly. So, so what do you say to that? sort of segment of folks that's like um, the money that's made typically in Wall Street is made off of the the injury or the pain of those people that the market affects. Yeah, I think the cool part about the markets is that market, the stock market is the greatest meritocracy out there, right? You, me, Wall Street people, we all can buy or sell the stock at any given time we want. Nobody's stopping us from doing so, right? So I you know, refuse to like kind of propone a victim mindset because I, you know, to me that kind of uh, like that kind of mindset would be saying, Hey, those people are doing it, but you can learn to play the game. You can learn to play the game. You chose to watch Netflix rather than watch something that improves your mindset. You chose to go drinking out with your friends rather than learning how the stock market works. You chose that. That was a choice you made. So People need to learn to, you know, play the game, uh, play the game. Because when the markets went down in COVID, you had the same opportunity. You could have bought the stocks, right? They went up almost 100%, doubled from that level, tripled some of the stocks, some of them 10 times. But did you buy? No, you didn't. You ended up buying that Gucci belt. You ended up going to that party. Whoa, you ended up whoa, whoa. whoa. We're not going to him here. Not on this podcast. We're not going to No, no, no. I, I 100% yeah. agree with you. I think that. I think that when um, when access to information becomes available, and, and specifically, I think what's beneficial to to an earlier point around the Reddit 
platform and what that provides, I think it does a really good job of introducing people to concepts, right? So a lot of folks, like their interest in the market, especially a lot of younger folks, mm-hmm. came because of GameStop, came because of um, AMC, came because of these sort of two predictions. And I think it then becomes um, important for us as individuals, right, to then determine whether we want to move past the bit of information that introduced us into the, the, the technicality, the strategy, the insights that come from expertise, right? That comes from talking to folks like you, to your mentor, to joining coaching programs, to joining funnels that actually work, right? And, and get them in a space where they understand more about it so that mm-hmm. they can make a, an individual determination on what will create success for them rather than being reliant upon these data sources that are, that may not necessarily be accurate at a high probability. Yeah. You know, you opened the show with saying, uh, you know, the, what's the answer, right? Like what's the answer? I think the answer is the search for the answer. There's no answer. The answer is a search for the answer. So how big is your search? You went on Reddit, you got, Peaked a little bit interest, right? About the stock market. Everybody was like, ooh, what is this thing? Now, did you take that seeking of that knowledge further is the whole thing, right? And I think a lot of people also want to get rich quick. It doesn't work. Like, it took me a long time. It took me a long time. I lost money my first year. Second year was like still not making any money. Third, fourth year is when I finally made money. But I think a lot of people, they have a misperceived conception of like making money right now. Or like make money in 30 days, you know, make money in 45 days in trading. It doesn't work like that. So uh, patience. Well, I, to, to, to in defense, maybe, I think a lot of social media provides this kind of instant gratification universe, right? Where like, not only are you being told that you're going to make money in stocks in 30 days, you're going to be a real estate investor and make money in 30 days. You're going to print t-shirts and become a millionaire in 60 days, right? So much of what social media uh, leans into, which is the fear of missing out, which is instant gratification, right? Like they create space for these individuals to, to weaponize that against the public, right? To feed on the insecurity around not knowing what you don't know and missing out on this fantastic financial opportunity because you just didn't click the button or you just didn't follow the page. Right. And like so much of it, I think is unfortunate, right? Because um, I have a theory, I don't know how you feel about this theory, but I have a theory that like the, the advent of social media for as much as it did in balancing out cultural lived experience, it also, created this insecurity that people didn't have about what they didn't experience, right? So you're living your life. You are a painter. You make 80000 a year. You're not thinking about going to Dubai. You don't care about flying to Colombia. You don't care about having the biggest house, right? But then social media comes along and it says like, hey, could have you should be in Medellin. Mm-hmm. Why aren't you in the Emirates, right? And you start to become self-conscious of the distance between your most aspirational life, right? Or your 
or what we're talking about, your best life versus the one in which you think you're experiencing, right? So, so talk to me about the folks that come into trading. Like, are these tend to be younger folks that sort of know what they want and they're just like, hey, listen, this is my deal? Is it folks that have maybe had success or failure in their career and this becomes a space of freedom where they're like, I want to control how I make my money? Or are folks coming in like with some sense of sizable success and they're like, hey, I want to make my wealth make me money. And and this is the, the tool in which I, I see it, right? Is it coming from that space of I don't have enough and I should want more? Is it coming from a space of I know what I want and so I want to get it? Is it coming from a space of like, hey, I've already got, but I want to multiply that thing? Right. So, um, you know, to, to your point about like the starting, I guess, with the social media part is, you know, there's two sides to everything in life. <laughs> Nothing is always black or white. I think the truth always lies somewhere in the middle. So just like there's, you know, yin and yang, there's heaven and hell, there's good and evil, there's light and darkness. So social media also has its good and bad. Everything has polarity. That's like a spiritual element. Nothing is always bad. Nothing is always good. Um, but and but to your point about the type of people that we get for trading, we get all all types of people from all walks of life. But majority, I would say, of our clients are older between, you know, for 35 to 55, kind of the range. Uh, the reason we attract those kind of people is because those people have maybe tried a bunch of other approaches. Maybe they've gone through their phase of Twitter and Reddit. Like they've learned all of that. They learned the pitfalls. Maybe they lost some money. And then finally they're like, okay, I'm ready to do this seriously. Then that's kind of the clients we get. We don't get a lot of younger people because our content doesn't appeal to them. Because all of our lessons start with, this is the hardest thing you'll ever do. Are you ready for it, right? So the younger audience usually tunes out because they would rather watch the TikTok guy who said five seconds to million dollars. They would rather watch that. So we don't get a lot of younger people, but we do have a lot of uh, younger folks as well. Um, some of our clients who are in West Coast, the cool part about West Coast is they can trade in the morning from six o'clock to like eight, eight thirty, and then they have another job that they go to. So while they're learning how to trade, maybe they're not just starting out, they're not making that money. They still have their job. And we advise everybody in the beginning phases to keep a job because at least you have some source of income. So it's not putting pressure on you to make money right now. You can just learn and follow the process and get there in about two to three years when you can eventually do quit your job. So that's the path a lot of our traders take. They might have another job that they might do. Uh, we also have a lot of uh, traders that you know had a successful business. They maybe had a auto repair shop. They had a I don't know plumbing business, whatever it is. They sold it now. They exited it. Now they want to work from home. So we also have a lot of those people. Uh, and we all have a lot of older people that are retired from their job. They want to, you know, just re not even make a million dollars, but just replace what they're making from their job, but do it from home so they can spend more time with their friends and family. Uh, so we, we get, you know, very different type of clientele uh, overall. All right. Awesome. So Emma, I'm going to I'm going to ask you to give information on how folks that are listening or and or watching uh, can contact you and learn more about your program. But first, I have two questions. I ask these two questions of everyone that's on the pod. So the first is on any streaming platform it could be a podcast. Uh, it could be um, a YouTube channel. It could be a movie, uh, TV show and or book. Um, what's something that you've recently engaged in that you thoroughly enjoyed? Like what's something that like 
you've watched and listened to, saw, heard that you really, really like that you want to recommend right now? Um, like in terms of platforms, like audiobooks is kind of my thing. Um, I listen like three plus hours a day. So if you do the math, like I'll probably finish like at least three books a week, at least on Audible. So Audible is kind of my thing. Um, avid listener, you know, I mean, I'm just taking a shower. It's connected to my speaker. Um, you know, in the toilet, it's, you know, I'm listening to so what's Audible. The, what's, the last thing that you, what's the last book that you heard that you feel like really had an impact? Yeah, so the last one I was just listening to while I was working out was Tao Te Ching. It's like a spirituality book, uh, you know, back in from the ancient Chinese uh, times, the Tao. Okay. So that's the one I was listening to right now. Uh, but then also another great author I like is uh, James Arthur. Uh, so he has a book called Harmonic Wealth. Uh, that's a pretty interesting uh, read as well. So those two are, uh, you know, really good. But my top two books, I think Mindset by Carol Dweck is a really good one. Uh, as well as uh, Three Laws of Performance by Steve Zafron. That's a really good book as well. All right, cool. Second question. Any streaming platform, same setup. What's something that you thoroughly enjoy that people may not necessarily attribute to you, right? Like, so someone may not know that you thoroughly enjoy this thing, but you really, really do. Uh, I'm a big reader in spirituality and psychology, and uh, that's... I mean, I would say all of my books are pretty much either spirituality or psychology. There's no other third books. There's no, I don't read fiction at all. Uh, so it's all, so I'm big into spirituality, big into ancient mystery traditions, Her- Hermes, Trismagistrus, you know, Hermeticism. Uh, I like to read different religious texts from Bible to Quran to the Hindu books. Like I read all sorts of spirituality because uh, it's all, you know, it all connected in a certain way. And the more you can be a person of integrity and be a person who's confident in himself, uh, you'll be ready to take over the world in anything you do. So, so when when you're trying to engage in these texts, like are are you engaging them in an audible, a digital, or a print format? I am usually doing audibles for majority of them, but I am part of like very many different communities that we do Zoom calls every week or every other week, uh, and we just talk about you know, different psychology stuff or mindset stuff or our own struggles. So I, I like my own mastermind groups and stuff like that. And we just talk about, you know, life stuff. Like, to, you know, like yesterday I was talking to my group about, I've been a mess last week. I didn't work out. I only worked out two days. I was like, that's unacceptable. And then we hold each other accountable. So that's something that we do a lot. All right, cool. So listen, if anyone is listening right now and they want to connect to you, they want to connect um, to the coaching program, they want to learn more about trading, what's the best way for them to engage in your content? Yeah, for uh, those are, who are interested in learning more about the stock market, uh, the best thing to do would be to go to the website, livetraders.com. Uh, and then once you make an account there, you'll get our free introductory course. Uh, it's a roughly three hours of video rec- lesson by me, as well as our trader's guide to success. So that's for people who want to learn how to trade. And you'll get a pretty good idea if you should even get into this by watching that video. Uh, apart from that, if they want to connect with me, uh, my social media handle is Delta90, D-E-L-T-A-N-I-N-E-T-Y, Delta90. It's the same on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, don't ask me why I have the username. Got it a long time ago, but then it, I use it on every podcast. I can't change it now. It's too late. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. Listen, thank you so much for talking to us about the market, more specifically about the mentality of the market, right? Getting into the business how to sustain a successful business and, and what 
points you need to really refer to in order for you to get the right information, right? Like all, all channels of, of data isn't equal. And so this is a great conversation to lead folks to where those right spaces might be or to ask the right questions about the type of information that they're receiving. Receiving. Listen, I want to thank Emil for being here on the Man Versus Brand podcast. We appreciate all of you for listening and watching. Thank you guys so much. Have a great day and continue to be great. Bye. If this talk just resonated with you or could help someone you know, follow Dion or his guest on all social media platforms. Till next time. And remember, with any business or brand, give it to your heart, make it real, or else forget about it. See you all soon.
If this talk just resonated with you or could help someone you know, follow Dion or his guest on all social media platforms. Till next time. And remember, with any business or brand, give it to your heart, make it real, or else forget about it. See you all soon.